Blog Talk Radio. Everything HR Owner to Owner podcast. My name is Felicia Harris and I will be your host this morning. Now, you already know owning a company is complex. There are a zillion moving parts. And when you bring employees into the picture, things get even more complex. Whether you have one employee or 10,000 employees, it can be a challenge to keep it all running smoothly. And that's where Everything HR come in. We do one thing, HR. We're human capital experts. We're problem solvers. We make things simpler. In this complimentary podcast, we'll provide you with the latest HR trends. Whether you do business in your home state or across the United States, you'll be able to call in and talk with HR professionals about the issues that keep you up at night. But more importantly, You'll hear best practices from other business owners that have been in your shoes. So go ahead. Give us a call at 586-461-1400 and let us hear from you about some of the different topics that you would like to hear on this podcast in the future. And also, if you would like to phone in your questions for today, give us a call at 929-477-477. 1199 or email your questions to support at everythinghrfs.net. That's support at everything hrf is in financial s is in sam.net. Now this morning we have a very special treat for you. We have Shanice Bennett, who is a CPA, who is very well versed when it comes to assisting businesses at all stages in growing their business in their cash flow and being mindful as to what benefits their business when it comes to financial realm and the taxes. And so I beg you to be sure to phone in your questions or email your questions there to her and so that you can get those responses that you really need to take your business to the next level. Now I have a guest host with me today because I'm pulling double duty just as some of us do here as running a small business. So my HR manager, Jocelyn Bozen, is going to take over for me this morning. And so Jocelyn is going to introduce herself, and then she's going to go right in and introduce Shanice so that you guys, you guys can get going this morning. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to this morning's Everything HR podcast. We are so happy to have our listeners here. And this morning we have a special guest, um, Ms. Shanice Bennett, and she is from AccuTrack Consulting and Accounting Services, um, and she will be speaking with us this morning regarding cash flow management. So, um, good morning, Shanice. Good morning, and thank you so much for having me here today. I'm excited to speak with your listeners today. I want to just give you a little bit of information about AccuTrack. We are a small CPA firm. 
I'm a CPA. We've been in existence now celebrating 10 years this year, and we serve the small business community, also government contractors, and some government agencies. Our firm is pretty much noted for complete financial management services. We would like to take care and partner with the small business to handle and give resources so that they can have financial management information to make better decisions. AccuTrack is based here in Michigan. We also have an office in Washington, D.C., and our primary goal is to provide business owners with financial information that they could use to make better decisions. And so with that being said, today's topic is going to be on cash flow management. We all know that cash is king, and without cash, businesses tend to struggle. So oftentimes what we're working with our businesses on is how to manage their cash. So I have a few objectives for today's podcast. I want to define cash flow management, also provide some indicators where you can look for, provide some information where you can look for key indicators, also give a few tips on developing a cash budget and tools to improve the cash budget. I think the key when it comes to cash flow management is knowing that you have enough cash when you need it. And there are so many different methods for managing cash, but we've also have to be very, very careful uh, when we go to managing cash and not looking at just a short-term view. So that's why I want to get some indicators and also some tools. And at the end of the day, the ultimate goal is for any business owner to better position themselves so that they feel confident in knowing that they have enough cash before they need it. So one of the things I want to great. Yes, yes, because we want to. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead, Jocelyn. I'm sorry. No, I I just wanted to interject and say this is definitely going to be useful information because we absolutely want to make sure that a lot of our business owners are aware of the best methods to take. And so um, this is is definitely going to be an an awesome um, podcast experience. Great. I'm glad that it's a hot topic. I love hot topics. Yes. So getting started, oftentimes when we talk about financial statements, you hear people talk about the balance sheet and the profit and loss or income statement. There is another statement. It's called the statement of cash flow. It is part of a financial statement. So there are really three key financial statements, yet and still we don't see a lot of those statement of cash flows. I wanted to start there because most accounting softwares including QuickBooks, which is used by many, many small business owners, have a statement of cash flows. And that statement there is really the starting point to track where your cash comes into the business and where it goes out. And that statement breaks it down into three categories. It shows you where cash comes in and out in operations, which is actually buying and selling. It also shows investing, purchasing assets for the company, and then also financing loans, credit cards, and things of that nature. So it's critical that businesses start to take a look at that statement of cash flows, and then when you're wondering where the money is coming from and where the money is going, you have an idea of which business category, either operating cash, investing cash, or financing cash. 
And then I use that statement to kind of help with the direction and the decision-making. There's only so much a small business owner can do. Of those three categories, which category do you have most control over? You may not have the time and resources to manage all, but if you're seeing cash coming in and out more in one section, maybe we focus on that section. Or if there's a section such as financing that you may not have a lot of control over, we focus our efforts on operating. All right. And so how and is that how you would know which one to use? It's with regards to cash sources. Okay. Usually the cash flow statement, I try and break it down in simple terms and I call it sources of cash, where does the cash come from, and also uses of cash, where is the cash going out. Using the statement of cash flow, having a basic understanding of the source of cash. So sources of cash, when you're looking at your typical financial statements, your sources of cash usually will be increases in your liabilities. Usually you can get a loan or maybe you use a credit card, for instance, so there's really no cash payment, but that's a funding source. So that's a source of cash. When we talk about uses of cash, uses of cash, usually you'll see an increase in your assets other than the cash account. One example would be an increase in inventory, especially for my retail folks. If they're paying for the inventory, paying cash, the inventory balance goes up, and that usually means that the cash balance is going down. So that's kind of how you get an idea of when you're looking at that statement of cash flow, what does it mean? What's the source of cash? Revenues usually are a source of cash unless, of course, you allow your clients to finance them. If you allow them to finance them in the form of accounts receivable, which is an asset, when that asset increases, that usually means that cash is being used because you didn't collect the cash. However, you either mm. paid your people or you purchased something for you to sell. So being able to distinguish between the sources and uses of cash is very critical. I see. Sometimes when we're looking at the statement of cash flow, it might just be numbers to folks. And what I try to do is to form relationships between those numbers to help us make better decisions. And that's where cash flow ratios come in. One of the most common ratios that's usually taught in some small business accounting classes is the current ratio. The current ratio uses the balance sheet, and the balance sheet accounts only. And on the balance sheet, it looks at the current asset number and also the current liability numbers. And the current ratio tells us how much current assets we have. When we say current assets, we're talking about assets that are usually going to transition in and out of the company within 12 months or less. And we're looking to see how much of those assets do we have to cover our current liabilities. Those are our payments that are becoming due within the next 12 months. And the way the current ratio is calculated is simply you take the total current asset number and you divide that by the total current liability number. Now, the goal is for that number to be a positive one or more. And the translation for that is if the number is one, that means for every $1 in liabilities or every $1 that's due, you have at least $1 in current assets to cover it. So anytime that number falls below one, there's a possibility that there may not be enough liquid or cash assets to pay those current liabilities. So we keep an eye 
on that current ratio a lot um, to make sure that we're always maintaining a number of one or more. Sometimes folks will say, well, what's an ideal number? I really believe it depends on your current operations, your industry, and your comfort level. I tell folks it's nice to have a number greater than one because as you have a little bit more flexibility. However, you don't want the number too high because that means a lot of cash is tied up in assets, and while they're sitting on your books, I'm not really sure if they're earning you any money by sitting on your books or earning any interest. So something greater than one but not too high. Okay. So I do understand that um, how major liquidity is. So thank you. That. Oh, you're so welcome. Another cash flow ratio that I sometimes tell folks to focus on is a ratio that they have a little bit more control over, and that's another cash flow ratio where instead of looking at current assets, we want to look at the cash flow from operations. So this is taking the income statement or what some folks refer to as the profit and loss statement, and we're going to be looking at the cash flow from operations. Depending on the titles on your income statement, you may not see cash flow from operations. So I will tell folks to start with an income statement that's cash basis. It's not some other method of accounting. It is truly a cash basis, cash flow statement. So that means that every income item on there was received in the form of cash and every expense item on there was paid out in the form of cash. And that net profit or maybe even the um, net operations or some people call it the ordinary income, would represent that cash flow from operations. The reason why I focus on the cash flow from operations is because that's the cash that typically the business owner has more control over. They have more control over the prices that they set. They have some control over the volume that they sell so they can control the revenues. And they have some control over the expenses that they pay and especially the timing of those expenses. There's a little bit more control in the cash flow over operations. So when we're calculating that liquidity ratio or that current ratio from the cash flow of operation, it's the same formula, except we're not using current assets anymore. We're taking that cash flow from operations and we're dividing it by the current liabilities. Again, the current liabilities are those payments that are going to be due within the next 12 months. The catch there is if you're looking at a cash flow from operations for a specific period, let's say you're looking at first quarter, March 31st, it's important to also look at the balance sheet dated for March 31st. So they have to be the same time frame or as of the same date it's going to give you a slightly different number from your current assets divided by current liability. However, I believe that number is more manageable. Rule of thumb is you still want it to be greater than one or greater. Okay. Now, are there any other ratios that you would recommend that businesses should should utilize? Yeah, there are some others related to cash flow. One, when we're doing projections and budgeting or actually looking for financing or investing, I like to look at the cash flow margin ratio, and it uses the cash flow from operations divided by sales. And the basic translation for that ratio is what is going to be the cash that remains from sales after all my expenses are paid? What is going to be my take-home cash? 
So I like the cash flow margin ratio because it takes that cash flow from operations, but it divides it by the total sales to give you an idea of what your true cash balance would look like after you generate a certain level of sales. So as we're going through and we're doing projections and we're saying, oh, sales will increase by X percent, what is that going to do to your cash balance? We use that cash flow margin ratio to get a better idea of what the cash balance will be after all expenses are paid. Okay, thank you. And so once we start doing things like the cash flow margin ratio, we're really looking to do a cash budget. We use that ratio there to kind of do a cash budget. And oftentimes I tell people this is probably one of the most important projections that you should have because we know cash is king. But they're always saying, where do we start? Where do we start? The cash flow budget is really a very basic equation. It starts with a point in time. So let's pick March 31st again. As of March 31st, what is your total cash balance? How much do you have in the bank? How much petty cash do you have? How much cash is in a register? What is that total cash balance? And then you're going to add the collection. So let's say you're trying to figure out what the cash balance is going to be at the end of second quarter, June 30th. We're taking the beginning, March 31st balance. We're adding to it what we think we're going to collect, what we're going to collect in the form of sales or revenues for that three-month period. So what do you think you're going to get in in the next three months? Add that to your beginning balance. And then subtract your disbursements for those three months. What do you think you're going to pay out? And then that will give you your ending cash balance. Sometimes the challenge is I don't know how much I'm going to collect and I don't know how much I'm going to disperse. Well, there are softwares that are available, including the software in QuickBooks. If you have the premier version or the desktop version, there is a cash flow budget template within the software. And what the software would do to help figure out what those disbursements and expenses are going to be, is it looks at what you've normally done, either over the past 12 months or for that same time period, and it gives you a recommendation. This is extremely helpful for those seasonal businesses, where in certain months or certain quarters, revenues may go up or expenses may go up or down, and it will give you a recommended amount. It also will look at any receivables that you have in your software already. So say you send invoices out and you give your clients net 45 days to pay or to pay. It will look at the fact that you've already invoiced folks and it knows that they have 45, maybe 60 days to pay, and it's going to include that as part of your potential receipts or part of your potential collections. So some of the work is done for you. You may be aware of some proposal you sent out and you've gotten accepted and the work is going to be completed. These are the things you must be aware of in order to identify the collections. But even if you don't know it, within QuickBooks, there's a cash flow budget to kind of help with that. And it does the same thing for disbursements. If you have employees that you pay salaries to, your payroll is probably around the same amount every month. It estimates that for you based on the information you have in the system. With rents and so many other expenses that may be paid on a monthly basis, 
Insurance, on the other hand, maybe something that's paid once or twice a year or four times a year. And if you're doing a budget for that same time period, the software QuickBooks, that cash flow budget tool, will look at that in the past during the same quarter. This is when insurance becomes due. And so it will calculate for you and project and give you a recommended disbursement amount. So you have your beginning cash balance. You know what that is. You have these estimates here already based on historical information and based on some actual invoices that you may have or even bills that you may have in QuickBooks, and it would estimate what your collections will be. It will estimate what your disbursements will be, and then you can figure out what your in cash balance, and it can tell you that too. The reason why we're looking for that is to make sure we have enough cash when we need it, and this is a tool that's already available within the QuickBooks software. Okay, very good. Now, Shanice, are there any other particular accounting software tools that you would recommend outside of QuickBooks? There are a couple softwares that I would take have some folks take a look at. There's FreshBooks, which is very similar to QuickBooks. It's an online, very easy to use software. There's Zero, which is very easy to use too. However, for some of the more complex businesses, you might want to Look into things like Sage 50, which is a little bit more robust. Um, there are some other reporting tools like Live Plan that does some of the forecasting or budgeting for you too. And Live Plan, for instance, will work in conjunction with your QuickBooks. So it can pull information from your QuickBooks file and help you put together that budget. So those are just a few of the ones that a lot of the small businesses use. But once you get to a certain level, you want something a little bit more robust. Sage has different different versions, and Sage 50 is a very good starting point. Okay, okay, very good. Now, just shifting into the topic of finding a good CPA. What do you look for in, in a good CPA with your, your experience and expertise? And so I sit on a small practitioner's board, and I work with a lot of other CPAs. And one of the things that I think that resonates among all of us is integrity. I yes. look for a CPA. You're looking for a CPA. You want someone with integrity. So one of the ways I measure integrity is this. We have clients or prospects who come in, and let's say it's a, a tax situation, and they tell you the client or the prospect says, I want these taxes to go away. And the CPA says, okay, I could do that. Um, I'm not so sure about that. We need a little bit more information to make it go away. A good CPA will tell you what you need to hear, not so much what you want to hear. Oh, we can fix that for you. We sure can, but how much is it going to take and how much is going to be involved? A good CPA will explain the process to you. They may not go into details about how or what tools they're going to use, but a good CPA, whatever problem, whatever request, whatever deliverable you're asking for, should be able to explain the process to you. That way you have a good indication of how much time may be involved in getting your deliverable or getting your request resolved and also how much it should cost, how much it should cost. Another thing, especially if you're in a specialized area, um, there are some CPAs who are general practitioners who are able to handle what we call just about anything related to accounting, taxes, payroll at a very general level. But if you're in a specialized industry, there are some CPAs who are specialists, SMEs, subject matter experts, 
one way you find out whether or not your CPA is a schmear is can they give you any testimonials or any referrals from any other clients. Technically, we're not supposed to give you our client list, so we can't just give you the name of a person, but they should be able to furnish you with something. And then because you're in a specialized industry, there are certain keywords that you can be looking for from that CPA to make sure they are specialists. Again, I look for integrity. I look for a CPA who can explain the process. And if you're in a subject matter expert or you're in a specialized field, they should be speaking the same language as you. Absolutely. And those are those are key characteristics I look for as well as it relates to HR. And so keeping with that same thought, how should you be engaging with your CPA throughout the tax year to grow your business? Because essentially you should you should know how you stand to, to make the rules, of course, work for you, the tax laws work for you. Absolutely. So I always tell folks the timing and your interaction with your CPA really depends on the nature of your engagement. So sometimes your CPA is only engaged for tax purposes, and really that's a tax preparer. That's all they're responsible for. If your engagement with your CPA is for tax purposes other than tax season, my recommendation is at least one, maybe two other contacts with that CPA throughout the year. No later than the month of October, November, you should be reaching out to your CPA to see what your current income is and trying to get some estimate of what your taxes are. Now, if you're also using that tax preparer CPA as your planning or strategist, that person may then, you may then engage that CPA to help you with some tax strategies. And that's why I say between October and November at the very latest, some of our folks we start in August because there's some strategies that you can implement before the end of the year. However, if you're not engaging that CPA, they don't know what's going on with your business, you may not be able to take advantage of those strategies. So knowing that, one, you have a tax engagement strategy. The other engagement strategy you might have with your tax or your CPA would be, are they performing your accounting and monthly bookkeeping? Now, some firms, I know our firms, we have bookkeepers on staff and CPA too. So the bookkeeping staff may be doing your bookkeeping every month. And then depending on your reporting engagement, you should be in touch with that CPA at every quarter, at least once a quarter if they're doing your monthly bookkeeping for you. We also have what we call some virtual or part-time CFO engagements. CFO engagements, that's a separate engagement from tax, separate from accounting. And our frequency there might be weekly with some clients. It might be monthly. So I always tell folks, be clear on what your engagement is with your accountant. And I just want to throw this out there because this is a confusion that we see sometimes in our industry. If your accountant or your CPA is engaged to perform tax services and tax services for you only, please know that reporting for taxes is totally different for reporting for regular financials. There's a different method, there are different bases, and it is very possible that your numbers or your profits usually on your tax return may differ from the profits that you see on your financial statements. It's okay because there are different reporting methods for that, but it's not your tax accountant's responsibility to put together financial statements for you unless, of course, you've engaged them to do so. So sometimes mm, that's that great information. Yeah, oh, wow. they, they are different. Okay. okay. Oh, wow. All 
All right. So I didn't mean to cut you off. I just I think that that is very interesting because I, I'm not certain if a lot of our listeners are aware of that, that piece of info with regards to making sure that that's not their responsibility. Okay. Yeah, we've been having that discussion within our um, or agency or with all of the C- many CPAs lately, just trying to educate folks a little bit more on the different roles that your CPA can play, and that's why it's critical to be clear what your engagement is. And so just having that clarity up front will take care of a lot of issues or maybe even avoid a lot of issues or concerns that may come up later on during an engagement. So, again, I want to just emphasize to folks, it might be a different number on your tax return when it comes to profits then it will be on your financial statements because they have different methodologies for calculating them. When it usually come, becomes important is when someone is looking for capital, access to capital, maybe looking for um, investors, and someone asks you for your financial statements. And depending on the nature of your agreement, whether or not you have someone in-house, um, you, you usually refer to the tax return because the tax return is a legal document, and on there your financial statements. If you're a corporation or a partnership, your balance sheet is even on your tax return. And then that's given to a lender, and lenders know that most tax returns for small businesses are cash basis. Lenders know that most people don't want to pay as a lot of taxes. If you don't have to, I say don't pay more than you're obligated to. So, of course, there are different strategies with taxes that you could take to lower the amount of your taxes. That usually lowers your income also. But you're saying, no, I was very profitable or I was more profitable than this, but you use the numbers from the tax returns. It's important to know that lenders, investors are aware of those different metrics and methodologies that are used to calculate those financial statements. So another option that I tell folks, and usually when we're talking about cash flow, we're making sure we have enough money so that we can pay our expenses when they become due. In any event that they don't, what can we do? So sometimes folks go run to the bank or go to a lender and and try and finance it. But there are some other things that businesses can do to improve their cash position. One of the things that we talk about a lot is what we call cash discounts. Cash discounts, pretty much you offer your customers an incentive to pay their bill early. Something like we call 210, net 30, we will give you a 2% discount if you pay your invoice within 10 days, and that increases the speed of cash coming into your business. Otherwise, it's due within 30 days. So sometimes when you're in a position where your cash may not come in on a consistent basis or after you do a cash budget you see a need or a shortage of cash, maybe you start to offer some customers a cash discount. Another thing that you can do is to negotiate your payment terms with your vendors. Now, I'm not a big proponent for negotiating payment terms with my employees. I pay them on time, like they're the first people to be paid. But after that, if, you're, if cash, your cash budget is not where you want it to be, maybe you can negotiate some payment terms, especially if you've been with some suppliers or vendors for a while. Maybe you've been paying them every two weeks. Can you now negotiate 30 or 45-day payment terms? That allows you to keep more cash in-house to cover some other bills. So those are some things. We work a lot with federal contractors. And federal contractors, especially the small businesses, need to know about the Prompt Payment Act 
there are different payment systems that are used by different agencies. However, the federal government has a rule that small businesses are to be paid within 14 days for construction projects or up to 30 days for other federal contracts. We are a federal contractor, and under the Prompt Payment Act, we usually get paid within seven days. So that's another way to improve the cash position. And if you are a government contractor and you're not aware of that act, make sure you have a conversation with your contracting officer about it because there are different electronic payment platforms and making sure that they know that you are a small business so that you can get your payments in a lot faster. Okay. And one other one I would say is if you were looking for financing is to develop a relationship with lenders. So when we talk about financing, we're talking about borrowing money to cover your operations or borrowing to finance or invest in a company with buying an asset, buying a building. But have a relationship. Every lender is different. They're all looking for some of the same basic information, the basic financial statements. They're looking for credit reports. They're looking to see whether or not you have a profitable operations. But exactly what those thresholds are will come from having a relationship with the lender because every lender is looking for something a little different in terms of those thresholds. And that's why I made the reference between the tax return financials versus the financial statement refinancials. They might be different, but the lender is going to be looking at that tax return. If that's what you give and your goal is to lower your taxes, you probably lowered your income too. Now, Shanice, can you share a little bit of information with regards to um, request contract debrief? Exactly what does that that entail? Yes. Yeah, so for federal or even government contractors, I was always told, and I have found it to be very beneficial, that after we complete a contract, we go back to the contracting officer and ask for a debrief. In other words, we're asking for a scorecard. Give me a report card on what we did. I want to know what we did right. I also want to know what we did wrong. And we use that scorecard for improvement. So when we're done with the contract, it's even in non-government opportunities or non-government clients. Just once you're done with the done with your work and you deliver whatever product or service to your customer, it's maybe a simple questionnaire to say, rate our service, give us feedback on how well we did. I always recommend that, especially if it's something new or you're getting into, you're transitioning into a new customer or target base or especially government contracting, just knowing that these are things you do great, so continue with those. But in the event that there are some things that you did not do well, in government contracting it's possible you may not get paid, even if you delivered the service, if you did not meet those standards. So once the contract is done, it is nice and recommended to go back and get a debrief, not just in government contracting, but also in industry. When you deliver the product or service, go back to your customer and say, hey, how did you like it? Is there any information you can give us to improve? And knowing that, well, the goal is to make sure you can speed up your cash or that you don't have a shortage of cash in contracting if you don't do something according to federal contracting. If you don't do something according to standards, you may not get paid. So even though you were planning on that cash coming in, it may not come in. So the debrief will help you identify some areas that could be improved, not just in federal but also in industry. Okay. All right. Very good. So we have a little under 30 minutes left in our live podcast, Shanice. And so if you don't mind just recapping 
some of the information in which you shared with our listeners for any of our listeners that have joined um, within the past maybe 15 minutes so that they can get an idea of the services in which you provide. And then we will also have you share your contact information. Thank you. So I am with AccuTrack CPA with AccuTrack Accounting and Consulting Services. We are a 10-year-old Michigan-based financial management company who services small businesses, specifically government contractors and government agencies. And our ultimate goal is to provide financial management solutions that allows management within the company and agencies to make better decisions. When it comes to small businesses, we know that cash is king. So one of the things that we talked about today is looking at the statement of cash flows. That is one of the financial statements. It's available within most accounting softwares, including QuickBooks. The statement of cash flow is critical because it shows you your sources of cash, where cash comes in. It also shows you your uses of cash, where cash goes out. And it breaks them down into three critical categories, operations, the revenues and expenses. It also breaks it down to the category of investing, purchasing assets for your business, and financing, lending, and capital investments your business. So you have an idea of where the cash is coming from and where the cash is going. And when we're trying to take advantage of this limited resource called time, where do I focus my time? Am I going to focus on operating cash, investing cash, or financing cash, or a combination of both? Or how do I decide which one? Well, where is most of the cash going out or where is most of the cash coming in? So taking a look at that statement of cash flow in addition to the other two financial statements we usually hear about, balance sheet and income statement is critical. Once we have that cash flow statement, analyzing it or using that information to make better decisions, we use certain cash flow ratios. The current ratio is the most common liquidity ratio. It takes the current assets and also the current liabilities. And when I say current, I'm referring to assets and liabilities that are going to transition in or out of the business in 12 months or less. And we take the total current assets, we divide it by the total current liabilities, and our goal is to come up with a number of one or greater. And what that number represents is for every $1 in current liability, you have the result $1 in current assets to cover it. Anytime that number falls below zero, it is necessary for management to start to identify ways to improve cash management one way to try and identify ways is to use a different ratio called the cash flow margin ratio, where we're looking at just cash flows from operations, things that you have control over, not so much financing and not looking at investing either. There's another cash flow ratio. We're just looking at the cash flow from operations, the things we have control over, our revenues and expenses, and how we can use that remaining cash to pay any of our current liabilities, our credit cards, our payroll liabilities, our sales tax liabilities. So using those cash flow ratios are good indicators of, one, what should be focused on in the business in terms of cash flow. Also, starting a cash flow budget is a basic formula. Your beginning cash plus your estimated collections for a particular period, less your payments or disbursements for that same period will give you your ending cash. And if you're not happy with that number or you're not comfortable with that number, then we start to look for strategies to improve it. 
Sometimes it's difficult to estimate the collections or your revenues and estimate the disbursements, what you're going to pay in the future. There are tools within many softwares, including QuickBooks Premier. There's a cash flow budget. The cash flow budget will look at things like the invoices that you have out to your customers now that may not have been paid. Maybe they're due in 45 to 60 days. The software will calculate what they think your collections or your receipts are going to be based on the date of those invoices. When it comes to expenses, there are certain expenses that are paid every month. Your software will look at those expenses and say, okay, you're probably going to pay these two in the same time period. So putting the cash flow budget together might be a simple formula. However, where you get the information from depends on what you put into the system, but know that your system will look at dates on invoices and dates on your vendor bills, too, to figure out what those are. And then you add to those things or subtract from those things what you know. You have a current contract that's coming due or you sent out an RFP and you were awarded it and it's only a two-month contract. You have an idea. And then once you have that cash flow budget, it gives you your ending cash balance. You can determine if that's enough cash for you to have. Some folks want a certain amount of cash on hand, and in the event that the number that they come up with is not they're not satisfied or they're not confident with that number, there are some strategies available to help you improve the cash position, such as offering cash discounts, offering your customers a 2%, maybe 3% discount for paying you early. We call it a 210 net 30 is pretty common. We'll give you a 2% discount if you pay us within 10 days. Otherwise, it's due within 30 also consider negotiating some payment terms with some of your vendors, especially if you have good relationships with them. Instead of paying every 15 days or once a month, can you go to 30 or maybe 45 days? And then for government contractors, be aware of the Prompt Payment Act, which allows government contractors to be paid if you're in construction within 14 days and all others within 30 days of sending your invoice in. So having those things available to will help you improve your overall cash position. Okay, very good. I do have one question for you, Shanice. So, of course, cash management is is so important for any new um, or growing business, and I am absolutely very foreign to this information, so you've shared a wealth of, of info. Um, I'm certainly curious to know how can, how can cash flow be problematic for a small business that has very – a a large number of clients. So delivery, delivery, delivery. To answer your question, how could it be a problem for a business who has a lot of clients? Your ability to deliver on what you offered your client or customer base may suffer. If in the event that you have cash flow issues, again, the first people to be paid are my employees or your employees. Your employees are probably going to be have the most impact on your ability to deliver. So if you're not able to pay your employees, it obviously impacts morale, which is going to probably impact quality. And services also. So when you're paying vendors, if you're not making payments to your vendors on time, will you be able to deliver the service or product to your customer? The one we see the most when it comes to cash flow issues with small businesses is payroll taxes. So the government and agencies, when we pay our employees, and let's say we pay our employees every week, uh, we pay our employees every week and we're withholding money, so we're becoming responsible for those tax withholdings. We don't necessarily have to pay those payroll taxes 
every week based on the amounts that we owe and it being um, compliant with laws, you may not have to pay um, until another 30 days later, sometimes once a quarter. So you're supposed to hold on to those funds for 30 days or maybe even three months, depending on your liabilities or the amount that you owe. And sometimes when businesses struggle with cash, one of the first things that they say is, oh, we have all this extra cash here, or we have some extra cash here because we have not paid the payroll liabilities. We can use that to pay our vendors so that when it becomes time to make the taxes payment, the tax payments for payroll, the money's not there. When it comes to businesses struggling or finding themselves in a very in a situation that they do not want to be in related to cash, the most common issue we see is paying payroll taxes. So if for whatever reason that happens to be a situation for a business owner, my recommendation would be to actually pay the payroll taxes at the same time you pay your employees. Even if you're not obligated to make the payment for 30 days, Trust me when I tell you a government agency will accept the payment early. (laughs) Don't take it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, okay. All right, and and that's um that will continue to to make sure that you you retain those good employees as well. So, hmm. okay. I know our financial statements are based on historical values and measurable values, and we talk about assets and their rules behind what you can put on there. I say our number one asset are our employees, but I can't represent them on my balance sheet. (laughs) Absolutely, absolutely. And so, Shanice, um, the best way for individuals, um, business owners, to be able to contact you, what what platforms can they reach you on? So we are on Facebook. Our tag there is AccuTrack Services, A-C-C-U-T-R-A-K Services. I'm also on LinkedIn, and I'll spell my name. It should be to this spell, just like it's pronounced. I'm my aunt named me. So it's S-H-A-N-I-E-C-E. Shanice, because I'm her first niece. Last name is Bennett, B-E-N-N-E-T-T. I do a lot of posting on LinkedIn. We also have a LinkedIn page for AccuTrack Services and a Twitter page. So our Twitter tag is AccuTrack Service, no S at the end. I'll give you my email address and phone number, too, for those of you who want to send me an email. Uh, My email address is sbennett, B-E-N-N-E-T-T at AccuTrack, A-C-C-U-T-R-A-K dot biz. And our office phone number is 586-840-6494. Very good. Now, Shanice, does your your business, your company, provide trainings or informationals to to businesses so that they can get more more information as to anything as it relates to cash management and financial services? Periodically, we will do webinars. We usually do one a quarter, um, and that information is usually advertised on our website, which I neglected to give, which is accutrack.biz, also all over our social media pages. So we'll have currently we're in the middle 
also financial management workshop series. We've covered cash flow, um, but usually once a quarter, we'll have a different topic come out. They're usually on Wednesday afternoons around 1 o'clock for an hour. We'll pick a topic. We'll do a very quick presentation and then take questions and answers to give you a lot of information. We, I do a lot of training for government agencies and also for some local small business agencies. Usually when I'm providing some training, that information is also posted on our social media tag unless it's invite only. So I do a lot more training um, than I ever thought I would ever do before. <laughs> <laughs> That's very good, very good. Okay, well, thank you definitely for for sharing all that information. And so if you could just provide, like, the basic principles in cash management, if you could if you could go over that with us. Um, we have a little under 15 minutes, maybe 14 minutes. If you could share that information, what would you sum up as the basic principles? The basic principles for cash flow management is making sure you have enough cash when you need it. So it's important to look at it. One thing I didn't talk about is how often should you be looking at the cash flow budget or how often should you be analyzing your cash. I recommend analyzing your cash flows more frequently than you analyze your profit and loss. So if you're looking at your income statement once a month, you probably should be looking at your cash flow once a week. Or if you're looking at your income once a quarter, maybe you should be looking at your cash flows once a month. Also, more frequent review of your cash especially if you're in a position where cash is tight. You might want to look at your cash flow on a more frequent basis. There are some key indicators, such as the ratios. The most common one would be that current ratio, and that's a very simple, quick, and easy calculation. Any time that number consistently falls below one, then you may want to start looking for ways to improve your cash. Cash is king. Without it, a business sales. Um, number one cash issue for businesses selling would be payroll taxes. If for some reason you're in a position where you're paying your workers more frequently than you're paying your payroll taxes and cash is a concern for your business, reconsider making those payroll tax payments more frequently or at the same time that you're paying your employees. Remember that there are tools and softwares that are out there. A lot of cash flow tools are available within the QuickBooks software, but let's assume you don't use QuickBooks. There's Zero, there's Live Plan, there's Sage 50 for more robust companies. But at the end of the day, I do a lot of my cash flow analysis in Excel. I download information right out of the accounting software, even if it's for clients who use QuickBooks, and I do an analysis right there in Excel. Just make sure it's something that you are looking at frequently, again, more frequent than your income statement. So it depends on your business. And I will also say that any event that you're not comfortable or not confident with the cash balance or your cash budget, make sure you identify ways to improve those positions. If you're able to offer cash discounts to your customers to encourage them to pay you sooner, then offer those cash discounts. Yes, there's a cost for doing that, a small one or two, maybe 3% discount, but it helps improve your cash position. Also, when you're considering financing, remember that the industry says we're looking for financial statements, and sometimes if you don't have financial statements and you're using your tax return as your financial statement, that may not be a true representation of what your true income is for cash 
space purposes or for finance purposes. It's also important to know that when you're picking your CPA, if you're only talking to that CPA at tax season, that person is not responsible for creating your financial statements. He or she is responsible for creating your tax return. And tax returns are calculated using, when I say tax returns, the profits on tax returns are calculated using a totally different methodology from creating an income statement that a lender or another third party may use. So it's possible those numbers could be different. Make sure you understand that engagement that you have with your tax accountant or your CPA. Um, there are different levels. And if you are interested in having financial statements prepared or if you're going to a CPA for anything and evaluating whether or not that's a good CPA, look for integrity. My recommendation or my measuring stick is a, you ask for something to go away and a CPA just says yes. We can make that go away, and they have not really dug into the details. I'm not so sure about that. A good CPA will tell you what the process is, and once they review their information, they should give you a probability of whether or not a tax liability can go away or whether or not exactly what you're looking for is feasible. Because the CPA, a good one, will tell you what you need to hear and not necessarily what you want to hear. And, again, they tell you the process that it's going to take to get that deliverable to you. Awesome. Very good. Well, I have definitely enjoyed you providing us, as our listeners, myself as well, with the information with regards to cash flow management, the functions, of course, of cash management and the importance, the basic principles. It has definitely been a pleasure for me to step in and be here with you um, on Felicia's behalf. And if you could just share with our listeners once more your contact information so that they know how to get in touch with you. Absolutely. So my email address is sbennett at accutracks.biz. The phone number for our office is area code 586-840-6494. We can be reached on our website at www.accutrac.biz. We're also available on Twitter at Accutrac Service, no S at the end. I'm available on LinkedIn. There's a lot of information, a lot of posts on my LinkedIn page, Shanice Bennett, and also our company's LinkedIn and Facebook page for Accutrac Services. Very good. So, listeners, I hope that you all receive that information and you definitely reach out to Ms. Shanice Bennett for your your CPA needs, cash management needs. Um, she is absolutely available and has been um, a wealth of information during this live podcast. Shanice, is there anything else you'd like to add for our listeners? I would encourage you to follow me on LinkedIn because we do offer a lot more financial management training courses, and they're free, and they're usually one-hour classes. So if you wanted to ask some additional questions on some topics, make sure you follow me on LinkedIn and then sign up for those classes when they come out because space is always limited. Oh, and you said it's free? Those are free webinars. Oh, that's awesome. Okay. So, yes, that is, that's great information at no cost to you. Okay. Very good. Well, Shanisha, it has definitely been a pleasure speaking with you. 
Thank you so much for this opportunity. I really enjoyed it. I'm hoping that the listeners gain something from it. And, again, if there are any questions, don't hesitate to reach out to me. Um, You may hear folks say, I'm so not your typical CPA. I will tell you what you need to hear, Um, but in a way that uplifts you, hopefully. But I am here to tell you what you need to hear so that you overall can make better decisions for not just you and your company, but your employees and your families. It just spreads out. So um, feel free to give me a call or send me a message. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Shanice. Thank you. All righty.